Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. We are in the last week of our study in the book of Nehemiah, and uh, as we looked at it last week, the people had gathered together, Ezra was reading from the, from the Word of God, the Law of God, the Bible, the interaction with that Word of God last week as we looked, awakened something uh, within the people. First, they felt a sorrow because of the gap between God's holiness and righteousness and standard and, and all the ways in which they had disobeyed. And we're to look a little bit further into that today. They, they felt a sorrow for that and they began to weep. But secondly, Nehemiah and Ezra and them reminded them, this is not a day of weeping, but a day of celebration. And they encouraged them to experience the joy that God wanted to put in their heart because he, he, he says, listen, I have forgiven you and I have brought you back from that consistent disobedience to me. This is a time of rejoicing. And they ended by gathering gathering together the next day and celebrating a week-long feast called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Shelters. It has three different names depending on what you see, but it was an opportunity to remember something they hadn't celebrated since the days of Joshua in the, uh, before they were wandering in the wilderness and into the promised land. Well, after that feast was over on the 24th day of the month, they gathered again. They couldn't get enough of God's word. They gathered again for the reading of the, of the law and, and the reading of God's word. And though the text doesn't specifically mention Ezra as the priest, friends, he's not going to miss this day. Most believe that he's the guy that is leading them in this worship service that is taking on. And, and uh, again, this was now the appropriate time for them to mourn over their sins. So the people arrived together and they put on sackcloth and ashes. And, and that was a, a picture of repentance. In fact, uh, uh, a little over a week ago, uh, as we opened up the season of, of Lent, it was Ash Wednesday. And although we don't celebrate it like our, our Catholic brothers and sisters do, ashes were often a sign on the forehead of people who were symbolically repenting over sin. They had recognized their sin and they were repenting. And so what we have here is we have a, 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 the, the people here who have come together and now is the appropriate time for them to repent uh, of their sin. And there's something, friends, about acknowledging our, our failures and acknowledging our sin and, and confessing our sin that is good for the soul. Amen? It demonstrates spiritual progress. Jesus said in the New Testament, when he was given the Beatitudes, one of them in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4 is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now this sounds a little, uh, a, a little strange because the word blessed there can also be translated, happy is he who mourns. How can we be happy and mourning? How do those two things go together? That doesn't seem to, to, to fit, yet... There is something greatly comforting when we begin to, to make a confession. When we begin to acknowledge our sin and we begin to confess our sin. In fact, Proverbs uh, 28, 13, this is what Solomon wrote. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. There's something comforting 
about admitting our need, admitting our guilt, confessing our sin that we might be cleansed from it. It is that cleansing that brings joy to our hearts. There was a man who was dying and he brought his wife to his bedside and he said, sweetheart, I have something to confess to you. Over the years of our marriage, I have been unfaithful to you and not as faithful as I should have been. And through her tears, she said, I know, that's why I poisoned you. (laughs) You weren't expecting that, were you? (laughs) Kind of serves him right, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh my goodness, yeah, he should have confessed that sin years and years and years ago. Maybe asked for forgiveness, could have been reconciliation. You know how it is. Well, Nehemiah chapter 9 is essentially a worship service. They gather together for a worship service, a very untypical worship service, though. First of all, it's long. It's very long. Uh, and, and, and it's filled with confession. Essentially, it's a record of fasting and repentance and prayer, followed by a renewing of a covenant. A covenant. And that covenant is made in chapter 10. But let's, let's just look at a few verses today from this to kind of get the setting of what's happening here. Nehemiah chapter 9 is where we're going to be. And uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Today I'm going to read from the New King James Version today. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust and ashes on their heads. Now skip to verse 3. And they stood in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Can you imagine the setting? Come on, just imagine it with me. They're there standing for three hours and, and they're listening to the word of God being read. And then after the scriptures are read, there's another third of the day where they begin to, to, to worship and they begin to confess their sin to the Lord led by Ezra the priest. This is the longest recorded prayer in the entire Bible. Depending on your translation, there's around 1,177 words in this prayer. Just thought you might want to know that. You know, that's one of those details if you like trivia or something. How many of you know you can thank the Lord? We are not going to go through every 1,177 words in this chapter this morning. We'd be here a while. But this is a prayer that illustrates the truth that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 where Paul said, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, But the sorrow of the world produces death. There's a different sorrow. This is a sorrow leading to repentance, which leads to salvation. Leonard Ravenhill once said this, the self-sufficient do not pray, the self-satisfied will not pray, and the self-righteous cannot pray. This prayer is the opposite of those things. It is a prayer that is filled with remorse. It's filled with humility. It's a prayer that is filled with hope and and at the same time we're going to learn some things through this prayer as we thoroughly as as we examine it this morning and the main lesson that we're going to find is is that failure is not the end of your story failure is not the end of your story 
I want you to see that today. As they begin to pray, they're going to they're gonna pray historically. They're going to look back at their people and their nation. They're going to look back at the covenant they had made with God and how over the years that covenant had been broken time and time and time and time again. How they had failed and failed. Yet, yet what we are going to see is their failure was not final because God had the last word. Failure is not final when God has the last word. I want you to see that this prayer shows up and, and, it, and it highlights that in, in the midst of it, in the midst of their failures, forgiveness and faithfulness of God is seen over and over and over again. There's four words that emerge from this prayer that are going to kind of guide our time together. And those four words are failure, forgiveness, faithfulness, and response. I couldn't think of a F the uh, a letter start or a word starting in with an f for the last one so failure forgiveness faithfulness and response let's look at the first one failure is our problem this is the reoccurrent theme in here we're not going to go through every verse, as I said, but I just want to highlight some. So in Nehemiah chapter 9, 5, and 6, again, we read this at the opening. The people are encouraged to stand. They're encouraged to, to worship. And then in verse 7, Ezra begins to recount God's faithfulness to Israel over the years. And he's praying, as I said, historically. And he, he, he covers basically the history from, from the beginning of creation uh, all the way up until their time of captivity in Egypt. And he recounts how God had been faithful and he made a covenant with Abraham and how miraculously he had delivered the, 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 the nation of Israel out of Egypt and, 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 and launched them in. Let's jump to verse 15 and highlight some of the important details of their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Nehemiah 9.15, we're going to jump right there. You gave them bread from heaven. Anybody know what that's called? Manna, right? You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and you brought them water out of the rock for their thirst, and you told them to go in and possess the land which you had sworn to give them. It's highlighting, this is what God has done for his people. He's been faithful to provide and sustain them, and they're remembering how he was faithful to provide for them during their 40 years in the wilderness. And then verse 16 continues, but they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks in their rebellion, and they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. If you remember anything about the wilderness stories, you remember that any time they faced any kind of difficulty, oftentimes they would say, Moses, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? God had done wonders. God had miraculously brought them out and provided, and yet it wasn't good enough. At times they said, why are we out here? Let's appoint a leader and let's go back to Egypt over and over and over again. Verse 26, they jump to another period in their history. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Again, what's happening here? The people are, are, are God has been faithful and they have failed the Lord. They failed to obey him. They've, they've failed. Now they're in the land of Canaan and Nehemiah 9, 28 says now, but after they had rest, the rest is when they're in that land. That's called the promised land, the land of rest. After they are, after they had rest, they again did evil before you. 
Therefore you left them in the hands of their enemies, so they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven and many times delivered them according to your mercies. You see what's happening here? If you read through the book of Judges, you know that it's the same thing over and over and over and over again in the book of Judges, right? The, the people, they, they, they rebel against the Lord. They, they, they turn away from him. They turn to idols, right? And then God does what? He allows their enemies to come in. They cry out when they're oppressed. And what does God do? Raises up a judge, raises up a deliverer. And they serve the Lord during that time. Then when that judge, uh, then when that judge dies, here they go again, right back into the same pattern of sin. And over and over and over and over again. And many more throughout this entire confession of their sin. What is happening is, as we are seeing over and over again, how God was faithful, but Israel was not. They were not faithful to God's covenant. They had sinned against the Lord over and over and over again. So what, what, what's Ezra's prayer? He says, God, you're really good, but there's only one thing that we're really good at, and that's sinning. We're, we're really good at sinning. We're really good at blowing it. You keep your end of the covenant and we're really good at breaking it. You keep your end, but we're, we're really good at breaking it. We're, we're good at breaking it. And, 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 and they had broken that covenant. They had, they had failed the Lord. And what he happens to mention here is not just something that, 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 that is for Israel. This is something that every generation, this is something that, that all of us, if we are honest, we are just like Israel. We're just like that. All of us. The human landscape is, is, is littered and scarred by people who fail the Lord. And Romans 3.23 sums it up. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord. Right? All have sinned. Not a few. All. Our problem is failure. Our problem is sin. In the New Testament, the, the Greek word for sin is hamartia, which means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. It's an archery term. So if I've got, if I've got 12 times, I got 12 arrows and, and I've got a target set up and I'm, 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 I'm aiming at that target. If I hit it 11 out of 12 times, but on the 12th time I pull back and I go to hit it and I miss on the 12th time. Guess what? I failed. I missed the mark. I missed the mark. Likewise, if I'm, if I'm got 12 times and, and 11 of those times scattered all over, but finally the 12th time I hit it, guess what? Most of the time, I still miss the mark. Most of the time, I still miss the mark. Most of the time, I've fallen short of the standard. That's the history of humanity. That's the history. The Bible records this, this sin that spread out in all, all directions, beginning in Genesis with Adam, and began to spread through. And it becomes a part of the, the human condition. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is essentially a journal of human failure. It's a journal of human failure. Paul wrote in, in, in Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Sin, sin has been hanging around ever since. Ever since, it's a part of the human condition. Adam is like that kid who goes up on the mountain, and there's this pristine lake. And it's beautiful. And when you look in the lake, it mirrors the scenery all around. And you can see the mountains and the scenery all around. And then there's just something in that kid that says, you know what? I, there's a stone. I'm just going to skip that stone. And the moment he throws that stone and skips that stone, the image is marred. That's what happened. Adam couldn't help himself. 
And as a result of that, the image of God was marred and sin spread and sin becomes, a, 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 again, the condition of, of every, every, every human being. We don't like to preach on sin, right? Let's just be honest, right? We, we don't like to preach on, it's not popular to preach on sin. Yet you can't read through the Bible and not, not face the Bible. That the, the Bible talks about sin. And that the human condition is that. And the human condition is, is failure. In fact, the word sin in all of its forms, whether it's sin or sinners, uh, sinning, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what, what the word is there. 629 times of the variation of the word that means sin in the pages of Scripture. The Bible is, is full of talking about the holiness of God and how we consistently fall short of that. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2, 3. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath by nature. Maybe you've heard this story before. I think it's one of Aesop's fables. I remember hearing it growing up. There was a story of a scorpion and a turtle. Have you heard that one before? The scorpion and the turtle, maybe some of you have. The, if you haven't, here's what happened. There's this, uh, the, the scorpion wanted to, to get across the, the river, wanted to get across, and he, he couldn't get it across because he couldn't swim. And he comes up to a turtle that's on the edge getting ready to swim across, and he says, hey, let me jump up on your back, and why don't you take me for a trip across? And the turtle says, no, no, what are you, are you crazy? You're a scorpion. I'm going to get halfway across, and you're going to sting me, and then I'm going to drown. And the scorpion said, wait a minute, the logic, logically, think about that. That doesn't make any sense. If, I, if I'm on your back and I sting you when we're halfway across the, uh, the river there, we're both going to drown. So, you know, and so the turtle says, oh, well, that, that, yeah, I guess logically that kind of makes sense. Get on my back. So it begins to swim, begins to swim. Begins, and halfway across, all of a sudden, the scorpion rears up his tail and just stings the, the turtle right in, the, in his neck. And, and, and all of a sudden, his nerve endings and everything start to seize up, and he begins to paralyze. And, and just before he's going under, he says, hey, can I ask you a question? You told me logically that, that if you stung me, that, 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 that we both would drown. Why did you do it? And he said, because it's not about my logic. Being a scorpion and stinging is in my nature. It's in my nature. Friends, sin is in our nature. Failure is in our nature. It's the nature of humanity. By, by our very nature, we are children of wrath, objects of God's wrath. We were, we were born with this evil nature, this sin condition. And, and, and so the world, the world will make better sense when you begin to understand that the human condition is sin. It's to sin against the Lord. And once we grasp that, we begin to, to understand. Listen, in all the advancements we have in technology and all the advancements we have in education, all of the advancements we have, we can't solve the basic problem of the earth. Why? Because there is a human nature. So who do we blame for it? Who do we blame for it? You know, we, we like to blame, right? There's got to be something wrong with the government. It's got to be the Democrats or the Republicans' fault. It's got to be this or that. I had to say that because we're in an election year. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. That's not the problem. The problem is we've got a sin problem. The human condition is a sin problem. We've all been infected by it. We all have the disease. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Our problem is failure, and this prayer begins, and you see it all the way through, the failure of the Israelites, the failure of the Israelites to hold up their end of their covenant relationship that they had made on Mount Sinai, the covenant relationship they had made with God. They had failed in their end of the covenant. 
But here's, the, here, here's some hope. Number two, forgiveness is our provision. God has a solution for our failure, friends. God has a solution for our failure. I thought I'd get an amen there. I guess not. Let me, let me show it to you. Maybe you're still caught up in the, in the whole man. The sin is the condition. Wow, pastor, way to go. You're just really encouraging this morning. Hallelujah. Here it is, verse 17. Nehemiah 9, 17, they, they refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks in their rebellion and they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But here it is, but you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness and you and did not forsake them. Whew. Hallelujah, man. You mean that's not the end of the story? You mean that sin is not the end of the story? That failure is not the end of the story? That, that failure doesn't mean it's final? No, there's a pivot. But God, but God, but you are God. And you are ready to pardon and gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abundant in kindness. And you did not forsake them. This is where our failure meets God's forgiveness. And in this prayer, that's what Ezra, as they begin to pray, that's what, they're, that's what they're doing. They're not only recounting how they had failed, which is really important to understand as they're confessing their sin. And they're, they're, they're saying, we have failed you. But we're also remembering that there is an answer to the failure. And the answer to the failure is met in your forgiveness. It's met in your forgiveness. God anticipates that we would fail. Did you know that? God anticipated it. He anticipated that the Israelites would fail. And he anticipated that you and I would not be able to live up to our end of the deal. That we would fail the Lord. It, it, it was anticipated. How do I know that? Because years before, when Moses again had met with the people, when they had, they had come and they'd met this covenant with God, when you take a look at, at the end of Leviticus, Leviticus 25 and 26 and Deuteronomy 28 and 29, there is a list of blessings and a list of curses. We did this on Wednesday night. If you were with us in Casket Empty, we, went, we, we talked about this on Wednesday night. There, this was a two-sided covenant. Unlike the covenant that God had made with Abraham before, which was a one-sided covenant where God had made his covenant with Abraham and the promises were going to be something that God was going to fulfill. It didn't, it wasn't put on Abraham. At Sinai, it was a, it was a two-sided covenant. God said, this is the, the law. And they said, all of this we will do. All of this we will do. And he said, well, here's the blessings. If you do it, these are the blessings. These are the good things. These are the things that are going to happen when you obey the Lord and when you hold it up. But then he says this, he says, but when, <laughs> but when you disobey, right, these are the curses. If you disobey, these are the curses that come. And then in Deuteronomy 31, God says, when all these things come upon you, following the curses, about a page, about a chapter and a half of the curses that are going to come, if you disobey the Lord, captivity being one of them, the fact that they had been in captivity was one of the things that God said he would do when his people disobeyed him. But, but there was hope because he says this, but when, <laughs> when all these things come upon you, it wasn't if, it was when God anticipated and knew that they were not going to be able to live up to their end of the covenant. When all these things come upon you and you return, I will bring you back. This is what it says in verse three. The Lord, your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord, your God had scattered you. 
They were living that moment. They were living that promise right now. Understand, in Nehemiah, where we're at in the history of Israel was when they were coming back from captivity. So God already had anticipated that and said to them, when you, when, when these curses come upon you and you come back to me, that isn't the only place. When they had built the temple, when Solomon had built the temple, he was consecrating the temple. And the people gathered around. There was a public prayer in front of all the people. This is what Solomon uttered. 1 Kings 8, 46 to 50. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. There it is again. And you become angry with them and deliver them to their enemy. And they take them captive to the land of their enemy far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of whose took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong. We have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with you with all of their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers the city of which you have chosen and the temple for which I have built for your name then here in heaven your dwelling place their prayer their supplication maintain their cause and here it is forgive your people who have sinned against you see even Solomon knew even Solomon knew that the people were going to disobey the Lord. They were going to end up in captivity. What had happened was not, was not something that should have been a surprise. It was something that was anticipated. But along with the anticipation, God said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It is not the end. It is not the end. Forgiveness is going to be available to meet your failure. When you repent, I will forgive you. When you repent, I will forgive you. And so Ezra is standing there and he's uttering this prayer and he's saying, listen, here is the failure. Here's the failure. Here's the failure. But God wasn't surprised by our failure. He anticipated our failure. And he says this, but you are God. Listen, if you have failed the Lord, if you have sinned against the Lord, it is not the end for you, but you are God, but you are God. If you will begin to understand that God's forgiveness is there to meet your failure, it will fill you with hope and with life. Ready to pardon, to forgive, gracious and merciful and slow to anger. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, what he uttered was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. At the cross, at the cross, our failure was met with his forgiveness. Our God is ready to forgive. If you will but come and say, I have sinned against you, O Lord. When you come in repentance, forgiveness is for you. Ezra is making confession and, 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 and again, he just acknowledges, Lord, we have sinned. We have sinned. We have sinned. We have failed. We have sinned. Listen, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, you can't say I have not sinned. I think I pointed that out enough. You can't say I have not sinned. But when you, when you repent of your sin, his forgiveness is there to meet to meet your sin. What is confession? It's not just simply saying, yes, I've sinned. It's, it's agreeing with God about my condition. That's what confession is. God, I agree with you about my condition. 
I'm agreeing with you that, that I have sin in my life. I'm agreeing with you. Some people say, well, here's my prayer. God, if I have sin. What do you mean if? What is if? We, we sin. That's what we do. It's in our nature. There is no if. We've got to admit it. Con confession is not about feeling bad. It may, it, it, it's not about feeling bad. Repentance is turning from something to someone. That's what repentance is. And God is ready. God is ready to pardon your sin. Look at the next two words that describe it. He is gracious and merciful. Now you might look at these and you go, gracious and merciful. Those are like two of the same thing. And they're kind of in the same category, but they mean very different things. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you deserve. So grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you deserve. You say, well, that kind of sounds like the same thing, doesn't it? That, that kind of sounds like the same thing. Well, you know, maybe a little bit. The answer to that is the cross though, right? When a perfect, sinless human being like Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross, he took our punishment, he took our guilt upon himself, the justice of God was satisfied, and the grace and mercy of God was extended. Now, let me, let me put it in a way that maybe you might understand just in terms of uh, maybe you've, you've had an experience similar to this, maybe not. I know that, uh, that I've been pardoned before in this area. Let's say you're driving down the street, and just for the sake of illustration, you're really running late. You're in a hurry. You're driving about 30, 30 miles over the speed limit, and they're sitting off to the side of the road is a police officer, and he's got that, that you know, radar gun is just pointed right at you, and he got you, Right? He pulls you over and, and uh, you know, you know how fast you're going and, and uh, what, would the, what would justice be? Justice would be that he would give you a ticket and you'd have to pay the fine, right? That would be justice. Justice would be you would pay the ticket. What's, what's mercy? The officer would say to you, you know what? You know how fast you were going? Yeah, 30, 30 miles over the speed limit. Yep, it's right here on the gun. I got you. It's right here. I got you. 30, minutes, 30 miles an hour over the speed limit. I got you. But you know what? I'm going to give you a warning this time. So I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm going to give you a warning. How many know that's mercy? That's mercy. So I know this is going to be a stretch because this would never happen. But here, here's would be grace. You know what? I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm just going to let you off with a warning. And you know what? Here's, here's 20 bucks. You seem really rattled. Why don't you go and you get yourself something to eat? Calm yourself down. Be safe when you drive. I'm going to give you 20 bucks. Now, 20, you didn't deserve that at all, right? That'd be, that's a stretch. That would probably never happen. You know, that's a stretch. That's grace, right? But the problem is, is justice would still need to be done. And so, so here's the full picture. He pulls you over. You're nailed, man. 30 miles over the speed limit. You are nailed. You deserve a ticket. You deserve to pay the fine. And he says, you know what? I'm going to let you off with a warning. Here's 20 bucks and uh, go, go get yourself something to eat. And by the way, um, I, I'm not just going to let you off with a warning. Here, here's your ticket, but I'm taking your ticket and I'm going to pay your fine. Justice then is satisfied because the fine was paid because you were guilty and you deserved it. The fine was paid. Mercy was granted because you didn't have to pay it. And grace was given because you were given much more than you deserve. Ooh, come on. That's what Jesus did for us. That's the cross. Forgiveness met our failure. Our failure was not final because in Jesus Christ, we get the, the, the mercy we do not deserve. And we get the grace. We're like, oh my goodness, I get a whole lot more. And yet the justice and holiness of God, because we broke the covenant, we're guilty is satisfied because Jesus Christ paid the price with his life. 
Thirdly, faithfulness is our promise. Whose faithfulness? Not our faithfulness. God's faithfulness. This is what's amazing that you and I know that we blow it over and over and over and over again, right? We blow it. We fail to live up to God's righteous standard. We, we fail to live up to his holiness over and over and over again. But when we are faithless, scripture says that he is faithful. And we see that in here over and over as Israel would, would as the Israelites would, would sin against God, as they'd break his covenant over and over again in their failure, God would pursue them. God would pursue them. God would pursue them. And he was faithful to keep his end of the promise. Verse 18 even when they made a molten calf for themselves and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and were great, and were great provocations. Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. That they had just made the they had just made the covenant with God. All this we will do, and not even forty days later, they're making a golden calf, saying, "This is what brought us out of Egypt." You should have no other gods before me. You should not make any other images. They already break the covenant, <clears throat> but God is faithful. But God is faithful. God was faithful to sustain them. Jump to verse thirty. Yet for many years you had patience with them and tested against them by your spirit in your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy you did not utterly consume them, for, nor forsake them. For you are God. Gracious and merciful. Listen, listen. The faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. He, he continues. His love is unrelenting. He, he keeps on pursuing. He keeps on going. Ezra says, man, we rebelled against you. But even when we did, even when we repeatedly put our hope and our faith in idols, even when we repeatedly, uh, you know, we, we settled in the land of Canaan, you gave us, but we kept rejecting you over and over again. You kept bringing us back. First John 3, 1, I love what it says. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. We can't imagine a kind of love like this. Behold, what kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? That even when we continue to fail, you remain faithful to us. What kind of love is that? A guy by the name of Malcolm Muggeridge, he used to refer to God as the hound of heaven. I don't know if you've heard that before. Meaning that God relentlessly continues to pursue you and hound you and hound you and hound you and hound you. That you fall away from the Lord or you drift away from the Lord and he keeps coming after you. That you keep breaking the covenant and he keeps pursuing you and keeps coming after you and keeps coming after you. That's what manner of love this is. There are some people that say, you know what, I'm searching for God. Here's the newsflash. God hasn't gone anywhere. I'm searching for God. God hasn't gone anywhere. You have. You have. Isaiah 53 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. But there is a shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. God is going after you. God is hounding you. God hasn't gone anywhere. You have. 
Maybe you've been running from God and you just find yourself just continuing to, to pursue the things that you know you shouldn't pursue. And yet you keep pursuing those things. And yet somehow you ended up here or listening online. You know why? Because God is hounding you. Because God is hounding you. Because God says, I want to offer you my grace and my mercy. I, I, want, I, I am hounding you because I am faithful even when you are not. That, that, that your failure is not final. My forgiveness meets your failure. Why? Because I am faithful. Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Oh, hallelujah. When sin reaches the high watermark, grace overflows in its flooding to us. Thank you, Jesus. We just don't even know that kind of love. We can't experience that kind of love because for us, love is all about an object. I love something or I love someone until that person disappoints me and then that object is marred and I can no longer love that object. But you see, God's love is not based on an object. God's love is not based on, 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 on our merit. God's love is based in his nature and his character because scripture says God is love. God is love. True love, pursuing love, unstoppable love, unrelenting love. God's love, friends, is like the sun. It, 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 it's always shining. Sometimes we don't always see it because there's clouds. But God's love is always shining. God's love is always shining. It, it, it always is. But here's the deal. If you and I want to stop the rays of the sun, if we want to get out from under the rays of the sun, you can take a big umbrella and you can pop up an umbrella and you can get out from the rays of the sun. You, you can come underneath it. It doesn't mean that the sun is not shining. That's like God's love. God's love is always shining. But you and I, sometimes we, we, we find ourselves in places where we're like putting up an umbrella. We're putting up a barrier. We're putting up, and we go, oh, I don't feel your love. Maybe because we're putting up a barrier. Maybe because there's something in there. Jude one twenty one says, "Keep yourselves from, or keep yourselves in the love of God." Some people make that sound like that that you've got to put yourself in a place where God can love you, but that's not what this means. What this means is that you and I got to continue to watch that we're not we're not putting barriers up, because God's love is like the sun and it's always shining. And you and I just have to make sure that we are getting out there and we are putting ourselves in a place where we can receive His love, like you can receive the rays of the sun. Because mm, he is faithful. Well, God's forgiveness and faithfulness to meet us in our sin demands a response. And that's the closing of, of this is, is it demands a response. And, and so th this response is following. Following is our priority. Nehemiah 9.32, now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who keeps his covenant of mercy you see, because of your faithfulness, God is there keeping his covenant promise to you. Jump down to verse 25. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit in its, in its bounty. Here we are, servants in it, and it yields much increase to the king that you have set over us because of our sins. So see, they recognize we're, we've been allowed to come back, but we're still paying taxes to the king. We still don't have our own nation back. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we're in great distress. And because of all of this, we make a sure covenant and write it 
our leaders, our Levites, and our priests and seal it. And that's what leads into Nehemiah chapter 10, where the people renew their covenant relationship with God. They begin to say, God, we were faithless. Our ancestors were faithless. We failed you. We failed you, but you met us with your forgiveness and you were faithful to us and you have brought us back. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to renew our commitment to you. We're going to renew our commitment to you. That's what we're doing. We, based on, on, on the forgiveness, based on your mercy, based on your love, based on everything that we've just recounted as we've seen that. Now, in response to that, we say, what else can we do except God, we are committing ourselves to you. We are renewing this covenant with you. We're signing it. We're sealing it. It's delivered. Signed, sealed, delivered. Here it is. We commit ourselves to you. They renew the covenant with God. This section is kind of like the Romans chapter 12 of the Old Testament. You remember in Romans 1 to 11, Paul is recounting all of the goodness of God. He's recounting all of the things that God has done and what salvation is all about and laying forth the very mercies and the grace of God. And then in Romans 12, 1, he says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, based on all these things that God has done for you now now here's what i do i encourage you i beseech you say god i'm making a commitment to you here i am all that i am i offer to you this is reasonable for everything you've done for me this is a reasonable response for everything you have done for me you, you have met my failure with your forgiveness and you have remained faithful when i have been unfaithful how can i not respond to your love with a commitment. And so they, they recommit themselves. They make this covenant to the Lord. And, uh, and, 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 you know, some people, they feel bad about their past. Maybe you're here. You feel bad about your failure. And, 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 and you say, I, I don't want to live like that. I want to live differently. So I repent. I live, I live differently. Listen, don't confuse remorse with repentance. They're two different things. Remorse is a feeling where repentance is change. Remorse is a sensation, but repentance is a decision. It's a decision. Hope you're thinking about your taxes. They're coming up soon. There was one man who wrote to the IRS a very interesting letter. He said, I haven't been able to sleep very good since 1970. I haven't paid all my income taxes. So in this letter, I'm including five crisp $100 bills. And, and so what's he doing? He's saying, here you go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay you back. Here it is. I'm paying you back. And then he said this. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. That's remorse. That's not repentance. That's what some of us do with our sin, right? Oh, God. God, forgive me this time, but I know. I've already got it marked out. I'm going to sin again. You might feel bad and remorseful, but that's not repentance. But God in his mercy continues to pursue us with his grace. And this is what God is wanting. God is saying, listen, you may have failed. But I, I have forgiveness for your failure. And you, you continue to wander away from me. You say, I continue. But I am faithful to you. And what God is looking for today is a people that say, 
Lord, we are, we're going to renew our covenant with you. We repent today of our sin and we say, God, we are committed to following you. We are committing ourselves to following you. We are committing ourselves to following you. We want to follow you the rest of our days. Worship team, will you come? That's what these people do. They're gathered together. It's a worship service. They begin to recount all the good things of the Lord. And then they begin to say, God, we have failed you. And we need your forgiveness and your grace. We have, we have failed you, but you have been faithful to us. And they come to the end and they say, your love, your grace, your mercy, your pardon, your forgiveness demands a response from us. And so today we are repenting from our sin. We're turning away from our sin. We're turning away from all of those things that we have served, that we have loved, that we've gone after. And we are dedicating ourselves to you. We're dedicating ourselves to you. Today, somebody needs to dedicate themselves to the Lord. There's someone in here that needs forgiveness. You need to experience the forgiveness and the grace and the salvation. Lord, there's somebody watching online that, that you're, you tuned in. You somehow, you just picked this up. Maybe on Facebook, you saw it go live and you're watching right now. And you say, that's me. I've wandered away from the Lord. And today I need to come back. Somebody in this room, today I need to come back to the Lord. Today I need to come back to the Lord. Today I need to come back to Him. Let's bow our heads this morning. And if that's you... And you say, you know what? I've sinned against the Lord and I need his forgiveness. I've sinned against the Lord. I've missed the mark. I need to repent today and I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. Or maybe you did, but you, you, you haven't been, you've been, you've been off wandering like a sheep. You've been out wandering and you've gone astray, but you know that the shepherd is out looking for you. And today you say, here I am. I need your forgiveness. Here I am. I need your grace. Here I am, I need to respond to you. If that's you this morning, will you slip up your hand? If that's you online, will you let us know in the comments? Come on, I need, I need it. I need your forgiveness. I need to come back to you. Thank you. Thank you. I need to come back to you. I need to renew my commitment. Come on, let's pray right now. Dear Jesus, we, we acknowledge that we sin against you. Sinned against you. Acknowledge that I've wandered away from you that I've not followed you, that I've broken the covenant with you. I haven't met your holy standard. I repent today of my sin. Oh God, I repent. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me today. Meet my failure with your forgiveness. I put my trust in you and your faithfulness, not in myself. I put my trust in you, not in my ability to be good. I put my trust in you because you are faithful to forgive and cleanse. And I ask for your cleansing today. And I commit myself to following you. Jesus, I am going to follow you. I surrender my life to you. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I put my, put my trust in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.